Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made, no, has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. So this is the seventh of the messages that we've, um, we're doing from this book of Luke so far. And up till this point, the first six of the messages have all been what most people would consider preliminary information, because clearly it's not by, from Matthew and, and other places. But it's important to understand that Luke felt that this was integral into the redemptive ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, it would be the... the um, the testimony, if you would, the prophetic fulfillment of, that, of John's birth that would be the uh, major claim, proof of the claim of uh, Jesus' Messianic claim. Last week, as we came into this portion of, the, of, of it, we considered the fact that this whole thing was happening um, in a certain period of time. It came to pass. And that it depends on how you look at these things, whether you look at them through... Um, the, eye, the theocentric eye view that you're looking at it from God's perspective or whether you're looking at it from the world, 
whether this was just random happening or whether this was something that actually God had planned. And so in that, we talked then about the, the numerous um, prophecies that God has given in his word. And we just did just a smattering of them coming through the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and then the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, looking at all the things that, that God had declared coming um, before Jesus' birth that would would come to be. So in the birth of Christ, we talked about the fact that of his lineage, that he would be of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, that he'd be of, of Judah, that he would be of um, David. So I'm coming all through these. The, the place of his birth, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be coming out of Egypt, though, because of the, the fact of the, the, um, the, 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 the desire to kill all the babies in Ramah. There would be the weeping of Ramah. And so that he would come out of Egypt from that perspective. That he would raise, be grown up, as a Nazarene, okay? Not a Nazarite, but as a Nazarene. That's a, a different statement, okay? We looked as far, as far as, again, the ministry of Christ, that he would, be, he would have a, a forerunner who would come before him. And then Isaiah declared that the, the statement that Messiah would state and that he would, and what Jesus declared the day that he was making his messianic debut, if you would, and that he would be the one who would heal the sick and the, uh, heal the lame and, and stuff like that. And he would... Um, bring mercy to the poor. We also then looked at the death, burial, resurrection, all the, the different things that were uh, in, claimed in there, that his hands and his feet would be pierced, that his side would be pierced, that they would look upon him whom they have pierced. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, all these things. And so as we looked at those, if you remember at the end, I didn't have enough time to share this, and so I want to share real quick here. As we look at just eight of these prophecies from uh, Dr. Stoner years ago had done these things, and coming through just eight of the prophecies, if you take prophecies, so let me, let me explain real quick statistics for you, okay? I've got 20 balls in a sack, okay? 10 of the balls are, are red, 10 of the balls are black. Each of the red balls have a number from 1 to 10 on them, so 1, two, three, four, okay? And, and the black balls, they each have a number from one to 10. So I've got 20 balls, okay? Two of them are number, have the number one on them, and two have the number twos, two have the number three, two have the number four, right? But, but I got 10 red and 10 black. So what's the probability of me choosing the red number one? One out of 20, or 5%, okay? So one out of 20, so is how we look at it, one over 20. So you can look at that in, in this kind of way, and that is I've got... 10, or I have, my first choice is um, whether I'm picking a red or a, a black ball, right? So I have one out of two chances. I can either pick a, a red ball or I can pick a black ball. And once I get whatever the ball is, I have one out of 10 chances of choosing the right number. So I can take that one out of two, I multiply it to the one out of 10, and I get one out of 20. Does that make sense? Because two times 10 is 20. You want to take my shoes off? You, want, you can take your shoes off if you need to do high math, okay? Anyways, that would be low math, I guess, if you're going down. Okay, anyways. Now it gets harder, because now we're going to go to quadrillions, okay? <laughs> so, so <laughs> say again? It's just more zeros. That's exactly right. Okay, and so when you look at this, okay, what they figured out is they figured out that one out of 280,000 people in that day would have been born in Bethlehem. <laughs> Okay, so thinking of only Israelites and stuff like that, okay? And so it has to be a man. So it's a 2.8 times 10 to the fifth. So you say, well, it's gone. So you take all these numbers, you multiply them together, because that's how you do stats. Remember the, the, the numbers, okay? And you get that the probability of one person fulfilling all of these is 1 to the 100 quadrillion. 
Okay? So I want you to think about that. Okay? That's pretty low. Yeah, right. 10, 10 17. So, so I know that's beyond the mind. So I'm, I'm very visual. Okay? So there's a visual that goes along with this. Okay? And so and it goes along with a silver dollar in the state of Texas. Okay? Now, clearly, that silver dollar is much bigger there than it should be compared to the state of Texas. Right? <laughs> Would you even see it if, if the state of Texas was there and it was put? No, you wouldn't, okay? But here's the deal. We're going to take, if we take a quadrillion of these, of these uh, silver dollars, right, and we begin to add them, okay, and before we do that, we're going to mark one. We're going to hide it. And they're going to go two feet deep, okay? So here we go. We're going we're to fill the state with all these silver dollars. Now, you understand that you're only going to get one layer here, okay? And you already know where I hid the, uh, the marked coin, right? But I should have done it differently, and I should have just filled the state with all these silver dollars, right? And then, we, then I would say, pick one, because there's going to be 96, so not even 100. But we'll, assume, we'll pretend there's 100 coming up, okay? You'd have a 1% chance of picking the, the right coin, okay? Now, if you didn't know the right coin, okay, would you have picked that one? Maybe not. I mean, so you'd think about the fact, because, oh, I forgot the next part. We're going to take, are we done yet? We're going to take a, a guy, and we're going to blindfold him. And we're going to tell him, we're going to tell him he can walk as far as he wants to within the state of Texas for as long as he wants to, for as far as he wants to. But in the end, he's got to stop at some point and he's going to pick up one coin. And remember, it's two feet deep of coins. He's walking on coins because they're 24 inches deep, okay? And so he can stop wherever he wants to. He can dig as far as he wants to, but he's going to take one coin. That's the probability of Jesus fulfilling those eight prophecies. Does that make sense? I'm visual. That makes sense to me. Okay? Now I'm going to give you another visual. Okay? This is courtesy of Chuck. Okay? And that is, what does a quadrillion dollars look like? Because that would be a quadrillion silver dollars. What's a quadrillion look like? With one quadrillion silver dollars, you could pay off the national debt, which is $34 trillion, 3,000 times. 100 quadrillion, yeah, 100 quadrillion, thank you. Yeah, I put one quadrillion, it's 100 quadrillion. And so, think about it. The national debt is beyond my comprehension. Okay? But with that many silver dollars, you could pay it off 3,000 times. That's the odds of just one person coming and fulfilling just those eight prophecies. And there were over 300 that Jesus fulfilled. Do you get it? It's infinitesimal. This isn't, this didn't just happen. God had a plan. God had a purpose, a redemptive purpose. And God was making known that redemptive person, that redemptive purpose to ordinary people. This is fun for me because we're coming up to the third of our angelic announcements. We've already looked at two angelic announcements prior to this. God sent the angel to Zacharias, and then God sent the angel to to Mary, to Gabriel, okay? Now, we're not told that this is Gabriel first who's coming to the shepherds. We just know that it's an angel, the Lord, who's coming, okay? But still, God specifically is wanting his message to go out, and he's not necessarily choosing the most popular people out there. He's choosing people who probably were just on the side of society. I understand that Zacharias was a priest, but he's a priest without a son, which means that his lineage wasn't going to what? Continue. Does that make sense? And so he's just choosing ordinary people in an, unor in an extraordinary fashion 
to use them to proclaim his message. And what we're going to see today is he does it again. Because he's going to do it through a group of shepherds. What is the first thing we know about these shepherds? Is they received the word of God. Now, before we get into this, you need to understand who a shepherd is in that day. They were filthy individuals. They were on the lower end of society. They were out in the fields taking care of stinking sheep. Okay? And so people didn't necessarily want to be with them all the time because when they came to town, they smelt like sheep. Okay? And so they would live there. Now, but the other side is, there is a sense that it was an honorable profession. Who else do you know was a sheep, a shepherd, a sheep, a shepherd? David. David. So King David, the one that they were looking for, the Messiah to come to fulfill, began as a what? A shepherd. I find this is kind of fun, that God comes to a shepherd in order to make the Messianic proclamation, that he's going to proclaim that the fulfillment of David's heir is going to be coming to the earth. Okay? So, but the first thing we know about these shepherds is the angel comes, okay? and so the angel comes to them, and, and he makes a proclamation to them. And he makes a proclamation regarding the, 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 the time and the place, which we're not going to spend time because we did that last week. Okay? So he tells them, unto you this born, born this day in the city of David, a, a Savior. Right? But it was personal. This is the thing that's really cool for me, is that when, when God sends this angel, whether it's Gabriel or somebody else, it becomes a personal message to them. Note it doesn't talk about the world. It's only when the angels come and join them where there's a proclamation to the whole earth. But this is a proclamation to them, to those shepherds. I bring y'all glad tidings. I put y'all up there because it is a plural. It's a second person plural. It's easy to, to understand that way. It's I'm, I'm, to you, you all, and he's talking to the who? To the shepherds. And we're going to see this in a moment because they're going to go and they're going to find the baby. And what? Y'all did. They did, right? So this is the y'all that he's talking to. Y'all... I'm bringing you good tidings. There is born to you all. This will be a sign to you all. You all will find a, a baby. Okay? So they received the message. They were the ones who were the recipients of the message. But even more importantly now, so they get this message that's coming to them. Okay? The second thing, more importantly is, oh, we'll get there in a moment. We got the proclamation of the angels. We're going to talk about this. Because after the angel talks, then he's joined with the heavenly what? Host. So again, I've got on my Christmas tie, right? Because it's the angels, right? But I told somebody this morning, this is the fake angel tie. Why is it a fake angel tie? Because they didn't look like this. This is what the world thinks of the little angels coming with their harps and the wings and everything else. There was a heavenly host. The word for a host is a military unit. They were warriors who were coming. I want you to think about this. The commander-in-chief was about ready to give birth, be birthed in Bethlehem. He had been in existence from eternity past, Micah 5.2, right? His going forth has been from everlasting. So he is the creator of all things. He's their creator, if you would, because he created the angels as well. And now he's becoming incarnate, and he's ready to give, be birthed in Bethlehem. And we know from the book of Revelation that the dragon was there ready to do what? To eat him up, to destroy him. That's why he sends Herod to destroy them all as well. And so surrounding Bethlehem were these heavenly warriors. They were taking up their positions to protect the king. 
I want you to think about that. Do you know, remember the, the, the situation with the prophet? Um, I can't remember. I think it was Elisha. Wasn't it Elisha? It was Elisha and his servant that were there. And, and Elisha's servant saw all the, 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 the chariots coming and stuff like that. And he says, you know, aren't you worried about this? And he says, no, there's more for us than that are against us. And he prays to the Lord to open up the servant's eyes. And the servant's eyes are opened up. And he looks out and what does he see? Chariots of fire surrounding them. Okay? And what he had was he had the angelic host that was out there okay so picture get that picture and bring it back over into bethlehem okay that's actually what's going on in bethlehem at this moment and some of those warriors are sent not as a choir but as a a, a body yeah as a troop of of guys who are going to proclaim i guess in unison or all together i mean I, glory to god in the highest Praise to God in the highest. Why? Because it's the same exact word for the highest there to talk about the most high. Because he is the most high God. There is no other God above him. He is the one and only true God, and they're there to proclaim him. Okay. But not only is it glory to God in the highest, but then secondly, there's a promise to man, and that is that there's going to be peace on earth, and that there's going to be good thoughts. That kind of sounds like the Facebook of today, doesn't it? Good vibes are with you. I'm sending good thoughts your way. But that literally is what it says. Udoka'o is literally to think good, okay? And so, um, so I, I know that if you have New American Standard, ESV or whatever, it says, um, on earth peace um, to men of good standing or to men of good will or to men of whatever, okay? I disagree with that translation, okay? And, and I have on the Greek here, and I know it's all Greek to you, right? But what I've done for you guys, because we talk about this at the men's breakfast, right? is we have the numbers and we have the, the, the parsing guide, okay? And the reason is I want you to see the importance of this, okay, is that you have two prepositional phrases, okay? So this is glory, glory in the highest to God and upon earth peace in, the word n is in. It could mean with, but it generally doesn't mean because of or for or whatever, okay? Anthropos is mankind, people, okay, good thoughts, good thinking, literally good thinking, udeko, if you look it up, it means to think, have, uh, how you think, okay, and so u is good thoughts, good thinking, okay, and so I don't think it's delineating who are going to be the reception, that, that it's good thinking people who are going to receive peace, that's, that's, not, that's not how it states it. It's two parallel prepositional phrases. So that you guys who understand English, you're, you're going to get some of that. I'm not much of an English scholar, but I learned my English when I learned Greek. Okay? So I have two parallel prepositional phrases. And so that's how I'm taking it. I'm taking that there are two promises. First of all, that there's a promise of peace to the earth, and there's a promise of good thoughts to, from God to men. Why? Because that's exactly what God did. Think about it. Why is Jesus coming to the earth? Now, if you believe... In, 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 in total predestination, okay, and you believe that only certain people are predestined to be saved, then it's not a, a, a generic statement. It's not a universal proclamation to the world. And so you can't put this out there. But I believe that Jesus came, as first, that we're told in 1 John chapter 2, that Jesus came not to be the propitiation for my sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. God had good thoughts, if you would, toward all men. And he's bringing the potential of reconciliation. Now, Jesus later, and we'll see this later, 
much later. It says, he says, think not that I came to bring peace upon the world. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. But what he's talking about now is when you believe in, in, in him, that it's going to set you apart from other people. And now all of a sudden, they're not going to like you because of that. But he did come to bring peace to all men. If they so, what? Choose it. Because God had good thoughts toward them. God's thinking was good thinking toward men. It wasn't bad thinking in that he's coming to destroy them. That's what John 3 says, right? That for God so loved the world, God in this manner loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. Everyone in the world. His thoughts toward him were good. So this is, I think, what's proclaiming. These angels, remember Peter says, the angels are in marvel about this whole thing. They, they, they look into this thing. They, they wish they could understand this whole concept. Why is God doing it? Because they didn't have that chance. They had one opportunity. They follow Satan or they follow God. A third of the angels followed Satan. And they were what? Condemned. So the angels are just marveling at this whole thing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. To men. Good thoughts. This is what's going to happen. Well, this is where... This is an exciting part to me. This is just probably the most simplest message, but the most profound message. They received the word of God. They had it given to them. Now, I understand it was angels. I don't know the last time you had a bunch of angels appear, especially in the heavenly hell. I mean, you'd probably, you know. I mean, it says, then they, they, they made haste, right? I wonder how long after the, the, the host left that they made haste. You know, did they have to kind of, Stop their knees from knocking. Did they ask one another? Did, did you see that? I, did, did, you know, was this mass hallucination? Was this real? I mean, was it, and so, but in, we're told that they, they did it with what? Haste. They obeyed. They didn't question it. So they didn't question it like who? Zacharias. Think about it. We got shepherds again. Well, how do we know this is really to be true? What sign are you going to give us? Well, we already told you you had a sign. The sign that's going to be is if you go. I want you to think about that. Because they were told that there would be a what? A sign. And this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swallowing cloths, lying in a manger. So what did they have to do? They had to go find it. They had to obey. They had to believe the message. I want you to think about that. Isn't that salvation? You never know the promises of salvation are true until when? You believe. You can stand on the outside as long as you want to and say, it doesn't make sense to me. But all I can tell you is that for Bob, when Bob finally gave his heart to Christ, he found all the promises to be true. I can't promise that. I can't do that for you, but all I can do is tell you that in my life, that's what happened. My life transformed. He transformed my life. Did it happen all one moment? It didn't happen all one moment. I had a piece of passage understanding, but he spent years of transforming me, and he's still working on me, right? Don't you love the little kid songs? He's still working on me. It took him seven days to make the moon and the stars, heaven and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's what? He's still working on me, you know? And so he is. He's doing those things, but you'll never know it until you go. And so they did. They didn't question it. They went with haste. 
Look at it. They had responsibilities, but obeying the word of God was more important. Think about it. They were out there doing what? Watching sheep. Some have conjectured, conjectured and wondered whether they were actually tending the sheep that would be used in the temple. Now, I don't know that. Okay? Bethlehem is six miles south of, of Jerusalem. Okay? Um, we stayed in a kibbutz when we were over there that was kind of in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and so we could kind of, depending on which window we were looking out, we could see which way. And so it's not very far, okay? And so the, in the, the hotel that was on the kibbutz, it was tall enough that you could see both directions. And so, um, so it's only six miles. And so, um, and then, again, it was the city of David, and so therefore they would do this. Now, so whether they were doing that or they weren't doing that, they had a responsibility. But let's make it for a moment that they were doing that. That's a huge responsibility, because now they're watching the, sh the sheep that would be offered as sacrifices in the temple worship. We're never told what they did with the sheep. Do you ever wonder about what they did with the sheep? Did, did Harold get left back with the sheep while all the rest of the, the shepherds got to go see it? Or did they what? Well, that's an option, too. They trusted God to take care of the sheep. Or maybe they drove all the sheep down into Bethlehem because they took care of the responsibility. I don't know how it played out. But all I know is I got a group of shepherds out in the fields with a bunch of sheep. And the next thing I'm told is they did what? They made haste. They went. They made haste to see the thing which was told to them. And I have to ask myself, how much haste do I use in obeying the word of God. I don't know if you did quiet time this morning. I hope you did. And I don't know what you got from your quiet time this morning. But I hope you got something. And whatever you got from that quiet time, were you excited about it? Were you excited that God shared something with you from his word? Now the next question is what? Are you obeying it? Yeah, what are you doing with it? Are you obeying it? Is it your intent to obey it? Or did you just read it to punch a ticket saying, oh, you know, I heard the word of God. That's really good. God gives us his word in order for us to do something with it. The first step is obedience. It's not whether I like it or not. It's not whether I agree with it or not. But if God declared it in his word, then he expects us to what? To obey. And they received the blessing. They saw the baby. And so I wonder, how many blessings do we not see because we don't obey? They would never know the blessing of obedience unless they went. How many times is it that you read, that I read, that we read in God's word, a specific command that Christ has given to us? And we say to ourselves, well, maybe later. Maybe later. I, I don't want to do that just now. That's not my cup of tea. I don't agree with that. That's not, that doesn't meet with my theology. But if we humbly would just accept the fact that God knows better than we do, and we would obey, that there would be a blessing that would come with it. I really believe that. And I wonder for myself, how many blessings have I missed? Because I haven't been willing to submit and obey immediately. Without delay. Without delay. I mean, I don't know 
what would have happened? Think about it. These guys just say, well, okay, we've got to do something with the sheep, and we really don't want any of us missing, so someone's going to go into town and get Harvey, so Harvey can come out and wash the sheep while we go in to the sheep. At that point, the kid might be gone. Maybe he was in the, the, in the stable in, in the end, like everybody declares, right? And maybe the, 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 the next morning, because the baby is born, they decide to move to someplace else, and they go to this place to find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, but there's no baby there lying in a manger because the, they have what? They're gone. Do you get it? They had to obey immediately and do it now in order to get the blessing. And so I just think, how many times? How many blessings have I missed? Because I haven't been willing to obey when God said do it. You can leave that one as it goes. What did they do then? They went, they obeyed. They saw the baby. They were filled with wonder. And immediately, what did they do? They spread the message. They told other people. They were so excited about it. They were so excited about their encounter with God that they became instant missionaries. Oh, that's not me. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Do you really realize what evangelism is? It's telling other people what God has done for you. That's all it is. And the minute you do that, you become a missionary. You don't have to go overseas to do it. It may be in your own house. It may be when you accepted Jesus as your Savior and nobody else in your house is a believer. And you start telling them what Jesus is doing in your life. Instantly, you're becoming a what? A missionary. But you're becoming a missionary in your own house. Now take that to your neighborhood. Take that to community. Take that to your workplace. Take that to Walmart. Take that to Puerto Rico. That's the, we have the Schneiders. That's probably the closest, right? Take that to Africa. Take that to Thailand. There are people who are going to all those places. Because they want to tell other people what Jesus has done for them. That's all it is. They had an excitement. They had an excitement about what God had shared with them, and they just wanted to share it with others. That's all they did. They simply made known to others what had been made known to them. I want you to think about that. They didn't make up the story. They didn't discover it on their own. They were out in the fields just doing their thing one night when God did what? He interrupted them. He stopped them in their tracks and said, hey, I want you guys to understand this. I hope, you, again, you have time every morning where you read God's word. And there are times when, you, when you're reading God's word, God does what? He stops you in your tracks. And you read something in a way you've never read it before. Do you search it out? Do you ponder it? Do you meditate upon it? Do you share it with others? That's what testimony time is all about. It blesses my heart when people start sharing what they're getting from God's word. Don't be nervous about that. That's what testimony time is all about. For us to share what God is doing in, in, in our lives. What God is teaching us from his word. Okay? And so don't say, well, I don't have a whole... You don't, it's not about giving a message. I was going to do it this morning. I was going to stand up and share what God's sharing me from the book of Matthew. Right now I'm in the part where, where uh, Jesus is in the temple and he's being tried, tested by the, the, um, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But right before that, in, um, 
and I, I think I shared this with a couple people this week, it was just so impactful to me that when he was in there and he was, he was cleaning out the, the temple, right? He's overturning the, 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 the money changers things and, and he's whipping everybody, scourging them and he's casting them out. And, and then all of a sudden the, the lame and the blind, they come into the temple, which they're not supposed to be there because according to the law, right? And so they're coming into the temple and, and Jesus is healing them, which means that they're not what? Lame and blind anymore. You get it? You got whole people standing there. And then after that, you got kids coming in. Kids are just children are coming in and they're praising God. They're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he, the son, son of David, right? And so you got this worship service going on. You got this instantaneous worship service going on in the temple, and we're told that the scribes and the priests were indignant. They were indignant. But they weren't indignant. When all the money changers were there and while all the stinking animals were and all the chaos was going on, they were perfectly fine with all the, the selling and buying. And Jesus says, you know, it, it says in God's word, my house, the house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of thieves. And another version says that you made it into an emporium. They were okay with a den of thieves. They were okay with an emporium. They're okay with God's house becoming a den of thieves. They're okay with God's house becoming an emporium. But they weren't okay with kids being in the service. They weren't okay with people who needed to be healed coming in amongst them. Man, I don't know if you can hear that already, but God stopped me in my tracks. That's the American church. We want our coffee shops and we want our bookstores right in the middle of the, in the churches. But we don't want kids in the service. It'll mess us up. It'll disrupt our, disrupt our little worship time. And heaven forbid we got someone who has a social issue or a, a spiritual need who comes in and, and starts talking about it. Because we don't want to be bothered by that. God stopped me in my tracks a couple times this week. I mean, you get 10 verses, and it's like, man, I can't go more than 10 verses. I mean, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I should be reading chapters, right? Because I'm a pastor. I can't read a couple, three, four, five verses in and God's stopping you on my tracks. It's okay. Let God stop you in your tracks. Allow his word to apply to your life and challenge the way you think. That's what Jesus came. Repent. Change the way you think because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then turn around and do what? Share it with others. It's okay. It's okay. No, you can become prideful in that. I get that. Do it humbly. These guys were humbled. But they were what? They were excited. And all they did was share what God had shared with them. That's it. They shared the word of God. Now, the response of the hearers is that they were filled with what? They were filled with wonder. Now, that would be exciting. Wouldn't it be exciting? If every time you opened up your mouth and you started sharing the word of God, and, and that, that here's what Jesus has done for you, and, and God desires, oh, back in that peace part, I meant to talk about the peace on earth. God sent, was all the whole concept was reconciliation, right? That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we're called ministers of reconciliation, that God desires for each individual on the face of the earth to be reconciled with him. And so we go out with this, this, this message of peace, this message of reconciliation. Wouldn't it be exciting if people were excited about it? Sadly, they're not all the time. But it shouldn't stop us. Because if we really believe the message is true, then that means my next-door neighbor needs to hear it. 
That means the guy in the next cubicle needs to hear it. That means the person in line needs to hear it. And I get it. I'm, Anna gets, with her testimony, she gets that naturally from me. I'm the introvert. I am not an outgoing, outspoken person. I am not going to talk, just by nature, I'm not going to talk to the person in front of me at the Walmart shopping center. Do you get it? That's just not who I am. I'm not extrovertish like that. But I pray, Lord, help me become that. That's why we go knocking on doors. That's starting to come up here in a couple weeks again. Okay, That's why we do it. Why? Because it forces me to go out and do something that I don't do naturally. Does that make sense? And train myself to talk to people. That's why I do it. Not because I'm great at it. Not because that's my bent. It's because it's not my bent. And I know that I need to be trained. I need to be equipped to do it. And so, John, as you said in your testimony, right, how do you get trained? How do you get equipped? By being in the, in the battle. You, you, know, you only learn how to use the sword by doing the sword play, right? Well, the only way I'm going to learn to be evangelistic is by doing what? Evangelism. I got to go knocking on doors and I got to talk to people and I got to tell these people I don't know about Jesus. So I become more confident in doing that. The question is, is it that exciting to you? Do you really believe the message that you really want to share it with somebody else? Now, I don't know who these shepherds shared it with, but we're told that everybody they met, they shared it with. They're out bubbling it and that it was received with what? Wonder. You got a group of shepherds coming in saying that they saw what? Angels. Declaring a messianic message that the Messiah was born. That would get people's attention. Finally, we're told then that they what? They worshiped God. They returned and they were worshiping God. But in there, we have one little verse that kind of interrupts it. It comes, it takes us back to, to Mary. Now, we'll talk about this again with Mary in um, either next week or the week after that. Um, well, it would be three weeks from now at, at that point, um, where Mary ponders all these things in her heart. And so the word for pondering here, do I have it up there? I do. Sumbalo, it means to throw together with. And if you look all these up, you can go do that again in um, Eastward and stuff, right? And check, check all this out. But Sumbalo is used to also talk about warfare about that you're actually pitting yourself against, you're throwing against one another. And so a, kind of a battling thought process. And so there's people thrown together for ministry, there's, that could happen too. But it's kind of just it, a hodgepodge of thing that it's thrown together. And I'm thinking to myself, when I, when I saw all that, I'm thinking, you know, this pondering of Mary, is there some struggle going on in her heart as well, in her mind? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't it be for you? I mean, all of a sudden you got these shepherds showing up, saying that what? They had seen angels. And it brings back nine months ago how what? You saw the angel. And how Joseph was ready to get rid of you until what? He saw an angel in a dream. Yeah, we don't read about that in Luke, but we see it in Matthew, right? So he sees an angel in a dream. And so she's just kind of wrestling with all these things, you know, what all these things are going to happen. And so later we're told as well, um, when she gets to Jerusalem with um, Simeon, I think it's Simeon, I don't think it's Anna, I think it's Simeon who's going to tell her, and a, and a, and a sword's going to pierce your own heart too. Wow, this is kind of rough stuff. You know? and so you, don't, you wonder what's going on. So just put yourself in Mary's point of view. Again, she's a teenager, 14 years old maybe, 15, and she's dealing with all these what? Big world issues. And she's dealing with them. So she ponders 
all these things in her heart, right? She puts, she's pondering the wonders of God. The shepherds then, they're praising God for his wonders, if you would, for his doings as well. They're praising him for the things which they had heard and seen, which was then spoken to them. Now, I want you to note three times, if you've got your Bibles, if you're looking at it, okay? That three times there, at the very end, um, yeah, I'm going to start in verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, the child, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 20, then the shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told them. What do you hear three times, once in every one of those verses? Say it louder. It was told them. It was told them. It was told them. It was told them. They didn't manufacture it on their own. All they did, again, was share what had been told to them. And the people were marveled at the, the things that they were told. There was a process. Don't you wonder whether the people who heard the message from the, the, the shepherds, whether they were praising God? And did they turn around and tell others too? Did any of those people, think about it, because they're in Bethlehem, right? So did the shepherds go off and say, hey, down in the inn, down at the stable at the inn, <laughs> there's a baby? And, and we're told that he's going to be the, the Messiah? Do you wonder if there's a lot of people that showed up that night? We're not told it. But I'm thinking that these, these, these shepherds are going out and they're telling people, and they're in Bethlehem, that they probably got people in Bethlehem doing what? Lining up. They're having a praise service outside the inn or at the person's house or wherever that Jesus is being born at, right? And so it kind of makes me wonder, again, all this kind of stuff. Well, they worship God in the end result. They received the word of God, they obeyed the word of God, they shared the word of God, but in the end, that all led them to what? Worship. We put teaching time at the end of the service. There's so many years I want to put teaching time at the beginning of the service. And I really think, again, so if you've been long enough, you know, in my mind, New Testament church met on Saturday night. I don't think they met Sunday morning. They think they were at work right now, okay? This is a work day for them. And so I think at the end of Shabbat, at the end of, the, they went to synagogue on Shabbat. At the end of Shabbat, they had the end of Shabbat meal together. That was what they called the love feast from the book of Corinthians. And then after they had that, that feast together, that food together, they had the com their communion, their, their remembrance of the Lord's table. And after the remembrance of the Lord's table, then they had their, their worship time together. They probably sang some songs. They had teaching. There was a dialogue going on, we're told. Okay? And I think as a, as a result of that, there's a worship service happening the rest of the night. That's why Eutychus falls as, is falling asleep and he falls out of the window. But, the, but it's, we segmentize this stuff and we think that we need to sing songs in order to cause us to worship. But worship is a result of understanding the word of God. Do you get it? That's what worship, true worship is. True worship is, is, is seeing God in his word, being filled with wonder, and resounding with praise. Daniel was harassing me yesterday because I had a song just buzzing through my brain the whole day. Yes? I want you to know it changed to, to another song um, about the blood of Christ. But all night I was singing, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood you gave. I mean, I was up at 4 o'clock, and, and, and then I couldn't really get back to sleep, so I'm pray, praising God and I'm praying and stuff like that. But that song was just resounding for three hours through my brain. You know, and thanks, because actually I learned from those from David from you, David, it was Crystal Gale. And so anyways, and so, and I'm just, 
And I'm just resounding with praise for all that. Why? Because I'm meditating on the Word of God, even in the middle of the night. I learned years ago, I could be frustrated when, I, when, when God wakes me up. That's where I had, to, I had to get to that point. That I wasn't just waking up on my own, but God was allowing me to wake up, and He was allowing me to wake up for a purpose. And I could be praying for you all. I could be praying for others. I could be praising God. I could be meditating on His Word, and I could be rejoicing for who He is. That God has given me an opportunity, laying there in my bed, to have a time with Him. Or I could be what? Frustrated. <laughs> Tossed, turned, frustrated. What do you do when God speaks to you? What do you do with the message of God? What's your response? What do you do with it? How often do you share with others what God has shared with you? Does reading slash hearing God's word lead you to worship? It ought to. Hearing God's word proclaimed to you ought to ultimately lead you to worship. Now, I'm not saying for me preaching, you got to be walking out this door saying, wow, praise God for what Bob said. But hopefully you're focusing on what God has said in his word. And you're filled with wonder and amazement with what our God has done and how he wants to use even shepherds. Shepherds didn't go to seminary. There wasn't even a concept of a seminary. But God used them as great evangelists. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and a God of great love. And you, Lord, have brought your message to us. It's a message of reconciliation, a message of peace, a message of good thoughts. Because you want us to have this relationship and this fellowship with you. It's not something we designed. It's something that you designed and you brought to us. Forgive us, Father, for hoarding the message and not sharing it. Help us, Father, to have boldness to proclaim. I think of even Paul, when Paul asked the, the believers of Ephesus to pray for him, that he would have boldness to speak as he ought to speak. Lord, I ask that, that you would help us to have boldness to speak as we ought to speak. As ones who are recipients of this great love, as ones who are recipient of your great grace, Lord, that we would be bubbling over with excitement and, and just praise to you that we want to share with others. And Lord, allow us to see fruit that comes from that. Allow us to see people who are excited to hear the message, who receive the message joyously, and whose lives are changed for your glory. We ask this according to Jesus' will, according to his name. Amen.